Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of College Basketball Weekly here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything School HQ, as much as the NCAA would like for it not to be everything School HQ, my good friend Will Warren up there in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, uh, is right there with me as we fight the good fight as uh, the powers that be go against our beloved university, um, where we are both. Uh, alumni and will fight the good fight uh, to stop uh, the powers that be from going after and billifying what is everything school HQ. Will, good evening, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm doing really well. I've got a two-step plan here. Uh, so number one, I've started an account called SEC Films, mm-hmm. and we're doing YouTube documentaries about an hour and 15 minutes in length. Um, we're going to interview some people. Uh, this is going to be about uh, it's going to premiere six months from now uh, when Will Wade or, uh, re-enters the SEC somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll we'll have some sort of title like The Cowboy Rides Again or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and famed journalist uh, Chris Lowe will be really mad at me for some reason. Um, mm-hmm. So that's part one. And um, part two, to save Tennessee, I uh, had it in my brain and I lost it. So, you know. Whenever it comes back, I think it's going to be really good for everyone. And I just remembered it. It's uh, putting Pat Adams in jail. I think that that would be good for America. Uh, for I think it would help relations. I think it would make this um, upcoming election less painful. Mm. You know, uh, people would vote for a candidate that jailed Pat Adams or put him in front of trial. Um, uh, my He fails the don't know your referee's name test. That's the simplest test for sports. You don't need to know the referee's name. If you do, there's a problem. Um, well, hold on. Ed Hockley, we knew we knew his name because the man had some pipe. Well, he was beefy. Yeah, That's he was beefy. So that was, was a positive. We knew yeah. his name because the man was jacked. But there's no super jacked basketball ref I'm aware of. Yeah, there really isn't. I think there used to be one and he retired. So. Who's the one who does the high knees? 
Do we know I his like name? Jeff Anderson. I like okay. Jeff Anderson fine. That, but that's the thing. The only thing I know about him is the high knees. I don't know how he yeah. is in a game. I've never had a reason to hate him in a game. So if we know you because of physical abilities, traits, then you're probably pretty good. You're probably okay. Yeah. TV Teddy, great. Mm-hmm. Very theatrical. Not a bad ref as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. Um, Roger Ayers, only known because he's always at the top of those Ken Pop ratings. Pat Adams, bad. I know who you are. I see your movements. You're like Anthony Jordan to me. Would you rather, what's a worse scenario for Tennessee in the final four? Pat Adams calling a game for them or the Spalding ball in a final four? Which would you rather have? Give me the Spalding ball, honestly. Because Pat, because here's the thing. You get the Spalding ball. I don't know going into the game that it's going to be two hours and 45 minutes. (laughs) Pat Adams on the call. I know I've got seven video monitor reviews in my future. I've got four technicals. I've Mm. got 17 incomprehensible foul calls. I've got a miserable two plus hours of my life. It's going to be longer than Godfather part two Mm. uh, with Pat Adams on the call in the final four. But thankfully I don't think the NCAA hates uh, Americans that much yet. Yeah. Yet. Yes. It's, um, I love it. I love it. Well, Will, we have some college basketball. We are going to get into on this edition of the program where look, we talked about a couple weeks ago about like where UConn was in terms of, uh, what they were a season ago. Now they're just like taking it personal. They're healthy. They are, they got their big man back. They already had Newton who was having a great year. They look like the best team in college basketball this year right now to you though. Does it feel like UConn is breaking away from the pack with more schools around the top five and in the top 10, continuing the trend of follow falling short, uh, against some lesser competition of late. So I don't think that they are breaking away from the pack. I think they are breaking away in a pack. Hmm. Um, And that pack being Houston, Purdue, and UConn. I think those three have kind of solidified themselves for now as like the clear best teams of college basketball this year. Because like, yeah, Houston's non-conference wasn't great, but neither was UConn's. They're both only got two losses in really tough conferences. Purdue survived against Northwestern after, you know, nearly getting boo-booed out of the building. They're, they've got two losses. You look at the Ken Palm top 25 right now. Mm. Those are the only three teams with three or fewer losses, let alone two. Everyone else has four plus. And so you look at the resume. I think they're clear of the field. You look at the quality of play on the floor. I think those three are clear of the field. I think in games where Klingon is fully healthy and playing the whole way, UConn has at times looked like the very best team out there. They've got that extra gear that I'm not sure anybody, but maybe when Purdue is really cooking can match like Purdue shooting is on and Edie's, you know, doing Edie things. Um, but I, I still have some worries about them defensively, not a ton, not as many, but they don't really force a ton of turnovers and they still foul a lot. But this is a UConn team that, I mean, really they survived the run without clinging just fine. Your only losses are both on the road. You haven't had a home or even neutral site loss yet. Uh, they, I mean, if they could play the NCAA tournament in the Northeast the entire time, I think they'd win all six games by 15 plus points. But um, I, I do think it's going to get a little tougher for them going forward. Like you still got to go at Creighton. You got to go at, Mar- you got to do both Marquette games, actually. Um close the season at Providence, and then there's leaving Big East play to go to the rest of the nation. But no, I think they're clearly in that top three group. It kind of changes for me night overnight as to which I think is best. Like, Mm. 
if you ask me right now, I'd probably put Purdue number one. If you ask me if honestly, if Houston beats Kansas on Saturday, I might have to put Houston number one. Um, but no, I think those are the three that are breaking away. You got them, and then you've probably got a pack of like, God, 14 teams after that mm. where you are like, on any given night, you could be the fourth best team. On any given night, you could be 54th. I really don't know. Like starting with Arizona and ending at like Creighton, you could kind of consider all those teams roughly equal. Who would be a worse national title matchup for UConn to repeat? Would they prefer to avoid U- uh, Houston or Purdue? I that's a really good question. I think Houston might be a little tougher just because Houston is so uniquely nasty to prepare for on the Mm. turnover front. If your guards aren't ready for that challenge, you're going to be in hell for 40 minutes or until you figure it out. Uh, That being said, Houston obviously doesn't shoot very well. So I I think both could have some unique ways of attacking Purdue's shooting. uh, You know, Edie is obviously the headliner, but I mean, did you know that Purdue is shooting 40% from three this year? Like, I would assume that Purdue's always shooting 40% from three, Will Warren. But both, like, Braden Smith, 43%. Fletcher yeah. Lawyer, 43 Like, Lance Jones has jumped 7% in the last month. Mason Gillis, this is not going to hold, but Mason Gillis is at 51%. So, What did they shoot last year? Uh, it was not 40 It was 32 Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh. That was why people mm. kept sagging off on them in that 16 over yeah. one game. They just were like, we don't trust that. You can beat us. But you know what they can do? Uh, They can find themselves in games where they out free throw the opponent by 57 and then have uh, the opponent coach cut a baby, uh, basically a WWE style promo after the ejection. Now, and that could be the case to me of like, I definitely think of the possible matchups remaining in college hoops this year. That would be the most interesting one, Purdue UConn, because it's, Mm. you know, the two best bigs in America going at each other, probably. Yeah. Um, certainly the two most motivated. I feel like if Dickinson had more motivation, you could put him number two. Mm. But I just it just waxes and wanes so much game to game for him. Um I'm so biased when it comes to Edie though. I don't like watching. I don't no, think it's, it's it... I don't like it either. And I feel bad because it's it's not his fault he was he's seven foot four, three hundred pounds. Yeah. Like that's the way he's built, he's using and he he's not just big, like he has legitimate skills. He's probably gonna be a first round draft pick at this point. Do we think I mean, so? Hmm. I think so. I mean, like some team is going to figure out how to use that and how to hide him defensively, at least for stretches. Yeah. I think he'd be a good role player on a good team. He, he'll never be a starter, but he'd be like a good bench piece. But Garza was fun. Like Garza yeah, was Garza fun was to watch. Yeah. I liked Dickinson at Michigan and I still do yeah. at Kansas. It's just like, like I said, it kind of comes and goes motivation wise for him. And mm-hmm. even Klingon, I think is more fun. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a tough line to toe of like, you don't want to go with this comparison, but it does kind of feel like international hockey or soccer where there's like a clear, like Germany in the early 2010s, where it's like you stop on the court with them or the field and they're just like instantly better. And it's not enjoyable really for anybody because like, sure, it's cool when Purdue hits threes. I can get behind that. Sure, it's cool when they block shots. But this particular style of Purdue ball is just like, it's the meme of like, this is brilliant, but I like this. This is brilliant, but I liked it more when Travion Williams was at center. Mm. I just did. It was more up my personal alley of how I like to watch basketball. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, Will, bubble bump. 
Who, uh, which school is less on the bubble this week than they were a week ago? I think we got a very obvious answer here. It's got to be South Carolina. Mm. Um, they were 17 and three prior to beating Tennessee on uh, Tuesday. And, mm. you know, truly like the first truly bad shooting night Tennessee's had since Maui. So, you know, who knows if that's repeatable or not. But with mm. South Carolina, you know, they had the wins and I think, you know, Lamont was upset about not being ranked, which is you can kind of, you know, give or take that for in my opinion. But mm. the fact of the matter was they didn't really have the signature win. Like, yeah, beating Kentucky at home is good, but the metrics don't like this Kentucky as much as the voters like this Kentucky. Um, you know, beating Mississippi State at home, good win, but you didn't prove it away from home yet. Like their best non-home win was either Virginia Tech or Grand Canyon. So to get that big signature road win, to really prove your resume a bit further, like you can make a real argument. They're probably like, what, 80% or greater to make the NCAA tournament, if not mm. higher than that. I mean, I look at them and I'm like, yeah, that's going to be a pretty frisky 8-9 seed when it's all said and done. Uh, I wouldn't want to draw them. They play very hard, very well, just very well coached defensively on the whole, I think. What's the biggest difference between them a year ago to now? Uh, they got rid of Gigi Jackson. I think that is mm. your easy call. Um, no, it's that and the spacing is a lot better. Like, yeah, they had some non-shooting fives they'd run out against Tennessee, but having BJ Mack on that roster is so huge. Like, mm. there's not, uh, like, it's deceptive because of the way basketball is played now, but there really aren't that many ground and pound dudes that will pop out and take five threes a game. In the SEC, it's pretty much just him and Janai Broom. And yeah. Janai Broom is one of the very best players in America. So you you don't really get the skill set very often. And I think he's opening up a lot more things for them. Like, you go look back at the box score, Tennessee held Michi Johnson down very well. I mean, he was held pointless until the final, I think, 12 minutes of that game. And, you know, they had a couple role players go off, but the reason they won that was B.J. Mack. B.J. Mack kept finding his matchups, kept getting down low, kept getting fouled. That, to me, is the key for them going forward of if he if they're going to make a little March run or stay in this SEC title race, he's going to have to keep playing like that. And he's been stepping it up against top competition, which has been nice to see. Is Lamont, like, do you think he's a rising star? Do you think he's at this job? Like, he'll be someone who's targeted for a bigger one? Or do you think he isn't? It, he should stay here for a little bit? Like, based on... Because he was a pretty... It was kind of like one of those where it's like, are you sure you want to leave ch chat now? Like, maybe get a little bit more experience for a couple more years? And he took this job? Because it's like, South Carolina is not an easy job, <laughs> historically. No. Well, that's why I would get out. I mean, yeah. it's not an easy job. It's Look not at Dennis one. Gates this year. Yeah. You gotta, I think it's just, it's the same as Dusty for me a little bit at FAU mm. of like, he's going to be fine this year. He'll get a job if he wants it. But in Pat Kelsey at Charleston too, you kind of have to strike when the iron is hot because you don't know how hot the iron is going to be in a year or two. Mm -hmm. And so could it be that he makes South Carolina into like a yearly top 25 team? Sure. Like Lamont, I, I was a little surprised at how quickly national media gave up on him because it's the same pattern as it was at Chattanooga. It took him a mm. year and a half to get things going there too. Like his first year, they were God awful. He went three and 15 in the SoCon. They looked hopeless. Yeah. And then by midway through year three, they were cooking. Like they took off in year three and never really looked back. They were easily the best team his final year there. Uh, and it kind of, it was like clear to me like, Oh, he's following that same plan here. I mean, I didn't, I didn't think they would finish last this year. I definitely didn't expect this, but 
I thought they'd be more competitive. If you're a year ahead of schedule like this at a job that doesn't attract much NIL money or mm. constant fan attention outside of when you are really good, you kind of got to jump. And it's not going to be pretty if he does. But like, I mean, so think about this. There's going to be a job or several that opens in the Midwest this year. Lamont is from Finley, Ohio, played at Wooster, mm. coached his first 20 years of college basketball in the Midwest somewhere. Is that your next Ohio State coach, for example? Hmm. You know, is that your, I mean, like, it'd be wild, but could that be your next DePaul coach or something like that? Stay away. No, if it's yeah. between yeah, South Carolina. Yeah, um, Although we will talk about them in a of, second. You're going to have a lot of jobs like that open in the Midwest of, like, could Lamont potentially, I'm just, like, spitballing here. Like, a, it would be wild if he did this. But, like, if Clemson opened, Clemson has mm. more resources. Like, yeah. sorry, they do. Like, would you take that? Or if Otzelberger left Iowa State, would you go to Iowa State? He's going to have options, I think. And it's going to depend. Like everything in this coaching search cycle upcoming, it's going to depend on what Louisville does because they mm. are the hammer that sets all the dominoes in motion. But once those dominoes are set, we're going to get a really clear picture of, A, will he leave? And B, is it worth it to leave? Maybe another one, Dark Horse, like to stick around, just Texas. Maybe you, stay, you have that yeah. uncircled. It, he'd be a little fish out of water there, I think, because that is now technically going to be leaving one SEC job for another. Yeah. Uh, but like, I'm just I'm scanning the program ratings list here on Ken Palm, just thinking of some options here. Like, West Virginia is going to be open. Lamont's not a bad option there. What if Penny leaves Memphis because they're not doing so hot right now? Look, everyone has their their uh, issues with the Rice basketball owls. Well, Warren, who amongst us has not <laughs> some, taken some their of rice us have lost to, I've lost to food in my life a few times. Mm-hmm. I haven't lost to rice specifically, but I've had some bad, some bad experiences with, with food before. I sympathize mm-hmm. with the Memphis Tigers mm-hmm. and that one account on Twitter who is like really obnoxious about them. I, I feel like you're responsible for this because we do. We lead uh, a show two weeks ago about Memphis and how legit this is. And then they proceed now, to go on a losing streak. And now, really, please really recall that mm-hmm. I pointed out on that show they were playing with their food a lot mm-hmm. and that they needed to shape up or ship out on that front to really become contenders. I was optimistic on the whole, but I did point out they've been doing a little too much. You know, they had a little too much dip on the chip. <laughs> they've been humbled. And now we got to see. What where they go from there? Absolutely. Um, well, this is something that I've just been thinking about, like because DePaul is open, right? And you're seeing a lot of names about DePaul. It's something that we'll always see f- the end of time is who can save DePaul. Like it's it's <laughs> it's just who can save DePaul. No one will ever understand why DePaul can't figure it out. It's in a great market for college basketball. You should. There's a lot of talent in the state, in the city. Like DePaul should not be this bad all the time. And yet, here we are. DePaul always trying to find the right guy. Will Warren is the ultimate just college basketball story. Will Wade trying to fix DePaul. And should that happen? Because it's a must-see event of like, can Will Wade, who's just, it doesn't matter if he's at McNeese State or wherever, he's going to win a lot of basketball games. Hmm. Can't. What happens when he meets the immovable object? in DePaul basketball like would would that be the what finally turns the corner for uh the blue De- uh blue demons sir what what say you now I think it'd be a very interesting hire I think he would be he would be the fit that makes the most recruiting sense I 
it's but the thing with like hiring Will Wade is you as the AD have to be comfortable with how much am I willing to live in the gray area of recruiting mm-hmm. and NIL and portal work. Uh, cause Will Wade more than honestly, more than any other high major coach of my lifetime, maybe since like, I guess Kelvin might count, but like 15 plus years is the point is comfortable operating in that gray area. Like that is his life's blood. He will push every single rule he knows to the limit to get what he wants. And does it work? Obviously. Mm. But I think if you hire Will Wade, and we saw this at VCA, we saw this at UTC, LSU, we're about to see it at McNeese, you have to be comfortable knowing that like Will Wade is not going to be at your school for longer than five years. I, I don't think there's a single job in college hoops that he would last five plus years at. It's like, it's kind of like the Lane thing of, like Lane is great for a time and mm-hmm. place to get you going again. And you kind of wonder uh, how long is that time and place? How long is this guy going to stick around there? There are long-term builders in college basketball and there's short-term builders. Will Wade is an elite short-term builder. And, you know, it took him a little bit to get it going at LSU, but like once he did, they looked awesome. So I, I just, am, I'd be curious to see like how long would he stay and how quickly would that turn around? I don't feel like it would result in a tournament bid in year one, but you know, year two, year three, he'd have him back rolling again. I, but I, but when I think of like his options, I just cannot imagine him taking that. You know, I, I don't know. Nothing would surprise me with Will Wade. Like what job he takes, or I, I like, is there really a job that would surprise you that he jumped at? Um. That might no, open the, up realistically. But DePaul is the one that would surprise me just because he's never coached in the Midwest. Like, yeah. So he's from Nashville, went to Clemson. The closest he's been geographically is Harvard. Hmm. So, I mean, like, kind of, but not really. I mean, Harvard and the Midwest are not culturally similar at all. No. Um, there's no, like, real evidence he could recruit Chicago the way he needs to, or like the way he's recruited Atlanta, for example. But, but if you're DePaul, you just take the shot, man. And if you're worried about him yes. not being there in five years, man, hey, maybe you get four years of good basketball. Like, that that's just a rare... Like, take it for where, where you're at, man. Well, I, I get it, but it's just... When I think of Will Wade's potential fits, that one doesn't mm-hmm. make much sense to me. So it's like... The the ones where I look at, I'm like, yeah, that would... That lines up with what I would picture. You know, like, if... I think this is going to happen regardless of where it's for. Chris Beard leaving Ole Miss. Because... Mm. Uh, it's been reported like his assistants are renting. They have not bought houses in Oxford. None of them have. Hmm. So I think that's probably a one and done mercenary thing, especially if he makes the tournament. Will but Wade then who jumps a beard? Huh? Who jumps a beard? Where does he think he's going? What's the he big jump? Louisville. That could be your next Louisville head coach. Mm. I know it's nasty to think about, but it's plausible. I mean, people love winning and that's what is valued above all. Or if like Porter Moser finally decides he's had enough at Oklahoma, that could be your next Oklahoma coach, which is still an SEC job. Same for Will Wade. I think yeah. he's just going to have a lot better options than DePaul. I mean, like, honestly, even Vanderbilt is a much better option to me. Where Vanderbilt you're back in the, SEC, the Nashville connection. Job, I do yeah, not want Nashville. Will Wade at, at Vanderbilt. That oh, is no, I don't either. <laughs> I do not want Will Wade at Vanderbilt. No, thank you. Um, hard yeah. pass on that front. Um, what makes New Mexico for the folks who are going to see New Mexico in the tournament ostensibly here, if they keep taking care of business over the next month here, Will Warren, 
top 25 team, tough loss earlier this week. They they were upset a little bit. But what makes the Lobos a top 25 hoops team this year? So for people who didn't get to watch them last year, they had these two mid-range mercenaries that I adored, mm. still do. Uh Jamal Mashburn and Jalen House. Both have actually been injured for significant parts of the season. Mashburn's missed seven games. House has missed five. So they've kind of had patchwork lineups. Like they have a Texas A&M Corpus Christi transfer who's been in and out. Jamarl Baker has been missing some games. Quentin Webb, a freshman who's been really good, has missed some games. They have not really been fully healthy at all this year, and yet they're 18 and four, Mm. top 20 in Ken Palm. The reason why I think they are such a threat this year compared to last they nailed like capital N nailed their portal additions and their uh, recruiting work. Nellie junior Joseph was on Iona's roster last year, you know, played quite well in the round of 64 against UConn held up fairly decently. He's been their center this year, really high block rate, terrific at avoiding fouls and getting to the foul line himself. Their defense year over year last year, 120th this year, 27th. Forcing way more turnovers, protecting the boards a lot better, rim protection is w- way up. I mean, I think I would argue that, you know, this conference standings might not bear this out, but I do think that they're the best team in the Mountain West out of hmm. a really freaking good conference, that is. Um, I mean, that's a conference that's at minimum probably going to get five teams in the field. And I, I they're just like, they're very tight. They know what they want to do. They're straight, they're like, it's a weird deal of they play super fast, but they don't really attack the um, the rim all that much. They are just mm-hmm. extremely good in the mid range there, which makes them like uniquely hard to guard for 2024 because every team wants to give those shots up because you're like in your head, you know, everybody's, you know, more analytically focused now, correctly. So I would say in your head, you're like, OK, mid range jumper. That's fine. I'm willing to give that up over a three or a layup. But mm. New Mexico hits those so well, it's bad. Like you don't want your it's antithetical to what you want to do. You would much rather give up a three. You don't want to allow them to the 15 foot range. And they're a uniquely tough team to prep for in that regard. Plays very fast. And I gotta say, for somebody who's as somebody who's really down on his Minnesota work, Rick Jr. is pretty darn good. This is a really well assembled roster. He's recruiting well. They've got their own unique, identifiable style. Um, I look forward to where they go from here. Like, I don't know how it works in March, and it certainly sucks that their two best, really their three best players are all going to graduate this year. But they've got, like, a good base there to build off of going forward, and Patino has nailed the portal move so far. So, yeah, I mean, if you haven't had a chance to watch this team, I'm going to be honest, this week probably isn't the best because they play at Wyoming and home against UNLV. But pencil in these two dates on your calendar. Uh, February 13th, day before Valentine's Day. Also the day before Ash Wednesday, I found out. Okay. Um, Playing at Nevada. Very tough place to play. But the real winner here, the Mountain West game of the year, in my opinion. Friday, February 16th, New Mexico at San Diego State. Mm. That is a banger. Standalone game that night on Fox Sports One, by the way. Okay, I like it. Do you think Patino is like a maybe that's where USC should go? Who sit at eight and twelve right now? Patino might not be a bad USC fit. Patino wouldn't be a bad USC fit. I, I just, there's been like a funny, um, 
bit on a uh, Twitter of like people wanting to run the patino era back at Louisville with Rick Jr., which I think would be, that would it will never happen, but it would be no. very funny. But the the interesting thing with him, you know, he's got the Southwest experience, but a vast majority of it's in the Southeast and Northeast. Mm. You start thinking about jobs that may or may not open there. And I can't immediately think of one that would be super attractive to him. But at the same time, I can see West Virginia for him. West Virginia is a possibility. Ohio State is a possibility. I can see that happening. He's a great motivator, smart guy. It's not going to be DePaul. I know that much. No. He's he's above the DePaul range. But like Boston person, Providence alum, a lot of Northeast experience, Louisville, obviously. He'll he'll bounce somewhere. But if I were him, and I know this is not how coaches think, but if I'm him, stick around at New Mexico. That's a historically very good basketball school. Yeah. I mean, do they have a ton of deep tournament runs? No, but like in my lifetime, I'm just looking here on Wikipedia, they've made the NCAA tournament 11 times. That's hmm. great for a school in a non-Big Six league. That's that's real history. You have an awesome arena that gets filled pretty well, has its own weird name, The Pit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would stay there as long as they'll have you or until like a UCLA-level job were to open up. And who knows on that yeah, front. Yeah, who knows. Um, bad news or good news, Will? Is Duke back officially? It's always bad news. It's always bad news. Mm. Um, so the funny thing, because I, I saw this in our little uh, outline, and I wanted to get this exact number for you. Can you tell me, without looking, where you think Duke would have been on January 1st in Ken Palm? Ooh, on January 1st? Yeah, New Year's Day. As a hint, they exited December, or they exited November 11th. I'm going to say 41st. They were ninth on New Year's Day. Oh. Would you like to guess where they are right now? Third. Twelfth. They're all the way back, baby. They've dropped. Um, (laughs) So explain it to... Why are they dropping and yet people are buying back in? uh, One, uh, this is going to shock people. Uh, They're Duke. It's a brand... People are mm-hmm. looking for any excuse to buy back in. I sat okay. through the COVID year. I remember seeing that ESPN breaking news thing of like, Duke can still participate in the NCAA tournament if they want to, despite having COVID. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, they're not getting selected. Shut up and go away. Um, no, the reason why people are buying back in is because they're 11 and 1 in their last 12. It's as simple as that. Who have they beaten in the last 12? Uh, great question. Uh, but they're 11 won the last 12. They did beat Baylor on a neutral court right before Christmas. They did, um, I'll charitably say, escape Clemson at home um, with mm. the help of a call that I um, was not very much a fan of. Clemson and fans it, were not happy after that game. I don't think they should have been. That mm. was, um, uh, yeah, I, I did not see that call as very good, but they did hang on to beat Virginia Tech quite well on Monday. I will note they shot 53% from three in that game, which kind of up to you on if that's repeatable or not. But I think people are buying back in because they've had some health concerns throughout the year. They kind of seem to be building back to it. Like Mark Mitchell is getting back to it. Flip has looked really good. Jeremy Roach has accepted his bench role and is playing pretty well. They They look fine. My fear with them is it remains the same as it was two months ago, is that this roster is too thin. Uh, so you got the five starters right now, 
or we'll call them the five starters because they get the most minutes. That's what I count. Flip, Roach, McKay, and Foster, Proctor. You got Mark Mitchell getting about 24 minutes a game. You got Ryan Young getting about 12. That is the full list of players getting eight minutes a game. Seven. If they have one injury the rest of the way, their calculus gets shifted in a very negative way to me because they're going to, I mean, like you can make it happen, but you got to get real lucky to get through March with a six man rotation and not have like serious foul trouble affect you or an injury again, or some sort of malady take you down. UNC did it once with Hubert. They made it through March with a six man rotation and they had guys puking on the floor in the national title game. I mean, it's possible. But I need to see somebody else on Duke step up or I need to see a second star emerge alongside Flip to really, truly believe in these guys because the Proctor bump has not happened. Roach has been fine, but Roach is not like a number two option. McCain has been fine. McCain has not really played like a number two option. The number two option has largely been Mark Mitchell. And I don't know that it serves you very well if your two best offensive players are front court guys. You got to get something from your backcourt going forward. I wonder though, is it sometimes where like the injuries and everything else where you're like, it's just, it's not going to be your year, but they, the preseason hype, I, I don't know. Like Duke, it, does it just feel to you like the, the omen is just, they'll be okay. Like, I mean, they, are they better than they were a year ago? Like, I mean, Tennessee obviously took them to the woodshed in the tournament, but like, are they a better team than what we saw at their peak last year? I don't think they're better than their peak. They could be by the end of mm. the year, but like right now, I would take last year's March Duke over this year's February Duke by a hair. Mm. And I think it's just, it comes down to like the offense this year is better, but last year's defense was just bawling out by the end. I mean, they, I'm, you saw them against Oral Roberts. Yeah. Max Acemas got put in a locker for 40 minutes, and that is hard to do. I mean, you saw that in the ACC tournament. They show it's okay. It's not hard to shove Virginia in a locker, but you get the point. Mm. You know, much better defense last year. Did a lot better job at forcing tough twos. And while they've held up quite well on the boards this year, I just haven't been as impressed with them on that end. I, I think they're skating by a bit on what yet again is a pretty crappy ACC that's got you know two obvious great teams in it, and then what I would politely call an ocean of mid. So like here, here's a fun thought experiment for you. Mm. Who is the third best team in the ACC? Cause obviously UNC and Duke are one, two. I feel like it's Clemson when you tell them they're not when Clemson. It, <laughs> it, That's a great point. Like if you tell Clemson, they're the third best, then you know, they're about to lose some, some ball games. But mm. if like they think they're the seventh or eighth, then it's Clemson to me. Okay. I, I can hear that out. I think I would probably pick Clemson. Yeah. But then I also think like maybe it's Wake Forest. Maybe it's Virginia. The point being like, yeah, you really only in like, Clemson's, I'm sure you didn't say NC state there anywhere. Uh, I don't really believe in them, man, to be honest. I, mm. they're 14 and seven. They're fine. But like, I don't know them losing the way they did to Syracuse puts a negative taste in my mouth. They really don't have any great wins. Like, you get a Ken Palm right now, they have one win over a top 50 team, and that was Wake at home. Uh, and I think that was, yeah, that was the double bird game, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. That was, that was, that was awesome. Uh, 
I hated that he apologized. He should have owned it. Um, mm. It was cool as hell. If, mm. That's the rule. Is like if it's cool, you should own it. But either way, uh, my my, I don't think it's a Gonzaga situation with the ACC at all. I mean, this is like the depth here is remarkable. Like you do have, you only have the two top fifteen teams, but twelve of the fifteen are in the top one hundred. Like there's no real off nights unless you have Louisville on the other end of the line. But the the point being, they're not getting the night in night out experience against the best of the best the way like Tennessee is or Houston is or Kansas is or like Yukon even I mean Creighton would probably be the sec I mean they would be easily the third best team in the ACC so would Marquette so would St. John's so would Xavier so would Villanova I I don't know that that would be a real argument like even in the Big Ten like Purdue's got to play Wisconsin they got to play Illinois MSU Northwestern that doesn't really exist for Duke. So it's, it's a question of like, I understand why people are buying in. I'm not stupid. It's Duke. But I also kind of caution against it because they've dropped in the metrics over the last month because they're winning games, but they're not impressive wins. Like the pit home loss was bad. I thought that mm. was a nasty one to take really didn't play well at Louisville. You pulled away late, needed a call to get past Clemson. Struggled with an awful Notre Dame team on the road for about 38 minutes. They 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 have like a, a good win or two in there, like littered throughout. But like right now, strength of schedule, 79th on Ken Palm for the whole season. Mm. 79th. UCF. UCF is 83rd to give you some uh some context here. FAU is 80th. Mm. Will, we have to talk about this real quick here. The Vols went down at home. They now are down to four games they can drop before uh, they're in danger territory of teams that can win a title with double-digit losses heading into the tournament. It's not a lot. There's a reason for that. When you lose double-digit games before you get in the tournament, that means you have some flaws. That means you weren't uh, one of the nation's best uh, to that point. So the odds of you winning, pretty slim. So if you go back through the history of like, 10 losses, man. There's just not a not a lot of teams that won win at all with 10 losses. And now Tennessee right there at 15 and 5. They get Kentucky at 15 and 5 this weekend at Rupp at night. Should be rocking. Should be a fun environment. Um, but what did you see? Is there a reason for panic based on uh the South Carolina loss this week? Um, because I thought like I was saying to somebody's where I'm like, I don't think they lose a home game this year. Like that was something I just kind of said, I'm like, they're just different at home. I think their defense is all gonna be up. Like I just I didn't see a home loss coming. Then well, they drop it at home. Like what what's real and what's not when it comes to Tennessee right now? So I I, I would caution so I will say I saw one writer call this the worst loss of the Rick Barnes era. Mm. And I was like, uh I've been around for a lot worse. That's friend of the pod, Ryan Chempert, though. I love Ryan to death, but I remember losing by double digits at home to UTC. That was a lot worse than this. Yeah. Um, Or losing like some of those COVID era games, like losing to eight and nine Kentucky or whatever it was. Maybe it's like the worst loss of like the expectations Barnes era. Does that make sense? Like the expectation era. But even then, last year's Colorado loss was a lot worse, I thought. But it was early. That was early. early, but that's like, that was functionally a home game against yeah. a, ended up being a very bad Colorado team. Yeah. Um, anyway, though, I I would say there's a couple of things here that wouldn't happen again. One, 
Taylon Cooper and Miles Studi are not going to shoot seven for eight combined from three again, probably mm-hmm. in any game. And two, it, it's probably also unlikely that Tennessee is going to have such a catastrophic night from two, three, and free throws again. I mean, it, I, I'm not doing a bit here. Like, you go look at their shooting records this year, and this really is the first truly poor performance they've had from the field since Maui. Like, mm-hmm. You can point to Tarleton State. I would point to Tennessee being interested in that game for as long as they had to be to get across the finish line because that's the pre-Christmas game. Everybody wants to go home. That's not really a data point to me. This is the first one since Maui where you can point at it and say, oh, Tennessee shot like garbage. The difference between this year and last year to me is I felt like we said that every three games last year of like, oh, this is Tennessee's worst shooting performance since last Tuesday. Whereas this year, it's this was a it's shocking because it hadn't happened in so long. Like you hadn't had a five for twenty one night from three in a, like two and a half months. You hadn't melted down like that on free throws in a long while. You hadn't struggled to get offensive boards like that. I mean, I, I don't know if people are aware. Like they got held to their lowest offensive rebound percentage since the Kansas game hmm. by a South Carolina team that's not really elite at defensive rebounding. So. I, I would be more worried if it didn't feel like such a, you know, Murphy's law game for them where you have that happen. You have the free throws driven and out. You have Estrella miss a wide open dunk that clangs out of the rim. You have the very first play of the game where Jonas Adu gets it wide open off the pick and roll and whiffs on the layup, like doesn't even hit the rim. I, I would be more worried if a I had not seen this team do what they did to Alabama, Florida, Illinois, Wisconsin, et cetera, and B, if this had been a trend, because like this truly was like an out of nowhere offensive performance for them. So I'm not as I'm not as fretful about that. I I will say South Carolina did the right thing in this game. They took more threes than twos. They only shot 33% from two, by the way, but the the key to beating Tennessee, unless you have like a Kentucky level talent or something, is you've got to up the variance and take a ton of threes because Tennessee will give up a lot of jumpers. It's how the system works. And if you hit those backside passes and get open, like you're going to have a chance. But you got to knock them down. They had two guys who went seven of eight. Good for them. So it's not like a catastrophic loss to me. It felt annoying, very annoying at the time. I will say, especially because I went, but. I think it no more games for you the rest of the season. Well, you've lost I, your privileges. I tell you the last two January games I've been to what this one and last year's home loss on Chris Lofton retirement night. Oh, you're definitely banned. Why yeah, aren't you I, saying this out loud? I'm putting this on Twitter. Will Warren, if you see this man, please escort <laughs> him kindly out. I, I'm allowing myself to go to like home Vanderbilt. I think no, that, no, you're banned. Well, I'm sorry. That you can come next year. Like it's gonna be like we're losing a lot. Like next year's are, you you you're allowed back next year. Wait for until year, I you're start, wait until I get the press pass for the NCAA tournament. Then it really will be bad. But that could be the cure because mm. I don't do press usually. Well, that but might be no, a different omen. I, I think that I would be more. I would also be more worried if Kentucky didn't just do the exact same thing the next yeah. night. Um, because which makes this game on Saturday that much more intense because someone's going to be riding a two game losing streak and a lot of panic from that fan base, depending on how Saturday night goes. Yeah. And Kentucky's got a little bit different of an excuse of they, I believe they're missing two players, right? They're missing hmm. uh, DJ Wagner didn't play. And I don't think Justin Edwards did either. 
but that's still a really friggin' talented team. And you told me all every UK fan on Twitter told me Big Z or whoever was going to be Jokic Jr. And uh, guess what? He sucks. So no, he doesn't suck. He's just he's a freshman who hasn't really learned the game yet. But mm. point being, you know, it's been proven Kentucky can lose at home. I, they keep doing it over and over under Cal, to be honest. So I, I'm less fretful about this game than most. I think the key really is two ways. One, does Kentucky have a single player that can guard Dalton Connect? Because I don't really see one on the roster. Two, is there going to be a single Tennessee player that can keep Antonio Reeves from going from 30 for 30? Well, we know I, the answer to that. I think there is. It's Meshack. It's Meshack. But then if he doesn't go for 30, what do you do with Reed Shepard? What do you do with Rob Dillingham? They're a really hard team to guard, but they don't do any guarding of their own. So mm. I, I think whatever happens, the most likely outcome is a really exciting start to finish game. Lots of points both ways. And you take a look at Tennessee's game. And if you adopt the attitude of, well, that was their worst shooting performance in two months that's probably not going to repeat itself. Then you're probably like, okay, I think they're going to have a good shot against Kentucky. And if you're a Kentucky fan, you can probably say the same thing of like, oh, Florida shot 12 of 28 from three. That was one of their best performances of the season. As long as Tennessee doesn't shoot 50% from three, we're probably going to hang in there. Mm. So, but I do think it's going to come down to, and, and, you know, this is kind of every Tennessee game now in a way. Can anybody stop connect? Because if you not. can't, then, I mean, it's wild to say this, but he is the first Tennessee player in my lifetime where you have the potential of that Jody Meeks game where he hits 54 in an opposing arena. I think it's it's just going to be fun. Like, this is just yeah. going to be such a fun atmosphere. And I think both, we agree, two elite teams. Uh, they're somewhere in the top three in the SEC right now, depending on who you ask. But the Reeves versus uh, Connect that factor alone of who's more deserving of National Player of the Year love, like that will obviously be a big part of this. And then, too, I think, and I don't know if you agree with this, I think, I think it's, fair for Barnes to explore Meshack starting at the four in this game and Josiah yeah. coming off the bench. I think we're at that point now where I think it's just, I, I think I'm, you have I'm to with starting Meshack. Yeah. I think I, you have I, to, I think you have to try this now. I think we're at that point. It's going to be a big game for him either way. I would be surprised mm. if he doesn't get like 20 minutes here. And I think that should be the case going forward, right? Like Meshack should be a 20 minute player for this team. Yeah, I, I'd be up for it. I think you got to reduce Josiah's minutes until mm -hmm. he figures out whatever is whatever's yeah. going wrong with him offensively. Which we hope turns around, but until then, I think Meshack, especially with this matchup, I think it needs to be a there, this needs to be a big Meshack game is yeah. where my my head is at. Um, final thing here, Bart Torvik slash Kim Palm don't lie. West Virginia is the worst team in the Big 12 this year, Will Warren. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't feel like that's any surprise. I mean, they're, it, it's kind of, I, I can't, well, I guess it's an easy target, right? Like they're bad. They have a reason to be bad. Everyone understands their reason to be bad. But at the same time, like you being the worst team in the Big 12 still means you'd probably like mid pack in a lot of conferences. And mm -hmm. the good news there 
you know, you being mid-pack in a lot of conferences means like you're still hanging around in Big 12. Like you beat Kansas, you beat Texas. You've pulled off some pretty good wins uh, so far this season. And, you know, I don't anticipate them doing much more of that. But I think the obvious thing here is we're going to have to see what they do come March because I don't think Eilert's going to keep the job as interim. You know, you can't really... What are they? I mean, uh, you just kind of assume that they're very bad. But yeah, eight and thirteen. Mm. He's not keeping the job. So then it becomes: where do they go from there? Do they get Jared Calhoun from Youngstown State? Do they try and see what Pat Kelsey's number is? Stuff like that. I'm very curious to see what their eventual pivot is because obviously this isn't it. It's also just sad, you know, like because. Obviously, the circumstances here were complicated with Huggins and everything else, and that was not the plan to have to do a quick coaching change and uh, figure stuff out here in Morgantown. But it just feels like whenever when you stay like the loyal route, where it's like we want to go with someone in in house, like and the players were all, and you have their response after of like the players want to keep and uh, stay in house, stay in the family, promote from within. You're just like, we all in the back of our minds are like, I get you have to like Rodney Terry. You just, you kind of have to with the run there. Like those feel good stories. It just, it seems like more often than not, they don't work out when they get the the full time thing. And it just, it, it, you have to rip the bandaid off more often than not. Yeah. And like that, I'm sure Eilert will land on his feet somewhere. He mm-hmm. might even stay at West Virginia as an assistant. Like he didn't ask yeah. for this. That'd be weird though. If he stayed on yeah. as an assistant after this, I think that'd be really strange. Um, but that's gonna be a battle, I think, at Tennessee years from now. Is do we go with a Barnes lieutenant um or a Barnes guy, or do you just Danny White be like, nope, we're gonna go a different way. We're gonna go with a certain Florida Atlantic coach, potentially. Who knows? Um <laughs> we're gonna play different- Providence coach too, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh Will, do you have a stats uh uh for us this week? Your Boy, stats? do I have a timely one. Uh okay. obviously last well, I guess it'll be two nights ago when this is released. The Purdue-Northwestern game finishes up. Purdue, 46 free throw attempts. Northwestern, mm-hmm. 8. Do you know the last time a Big Ten conference game featured one team shooting 40-plus free throw attempts while the other shot 10 or fewer? I do not. It was Northwestern who shot 40 against Illinois just last January. Oh, Which wow. makes Chris Collins' post-game conference where he said, I've never seen a box score like this that much richer. I love that. I didn't know that. Um, that's fantastic. But <laughs> I understand. Like, there's just some you're just like, this is this is wild. Um, well, so if it was what- a Northwestern TV or a Northwestern fan, I don't think I'd have a TV this morning. <laughs> also, as someone who has played North uh, Purdue this year, it's not fun. It's not a no. pleasant experience. I didn't enjoy it earlier. Um, Will Warren, what can the good folks check out from you over at statsbywill.substack.com today? Good stuff coming this weekend. So we got our weekend watch list as usual. If you sign up uh, today, paid subscription, you're going to get a preview of what I think is the best game of the weekend, Kentucky, Tennessee. Um, Not really sure what would be close. I guess Houston, Kansas. I don't think Mm. Tennessee would beat it, to be honest, unless we're at uh, Duke. Um, But great game that you'll get a preview of. And then uh, I think by the time this will be up, we'll have up the comparison of this year's top 50 teams to the last 25 years at this date of the season in Ken Palm, which is a way like last year we did this. I think you remember the series 
we went through and we pointed out, hey, 2023's group is really bad at the top, but has a pretty mm. stout back end. Guess what happened in March? Wildest Final Four grouping I've ever seen. Is it going to be the same this year? Probably not, but it still looks like we're going to have some chaos. So we'll have that up at the blog. Um, I'm going to get back in this dang Vanderbilt series, especially now that I found out it made its way to a Vandy message board. So they had nice things to say, by the way. I wasn't expecting it. Um, okay. They were like, yeah, we agree. We suck. And I was like, yeah, you do. Um, I think they're just... They wanna, yeah. Hey, they, <laughs> like, it is what it is. There's no high, There's no running. And it's also like, we need to accept this so that we can adjust and move forward. Yeah, exactly. So got that. And then other series coming out. Hopefully some work with uh, some other people in the sport. Our boy Trilly Donovan. Uh, mm-hmm. Could be seeing some stuff from him out there soon. So, you know, lots to come, but, you know, um, again, I'd like to say this every time I'm on here, always thankful for the support people give. Reached another new high-end subscribers this week, which yes. is cool. Another new high-end uh, reads or read count or whatever. I don't look at the stats very often, but um, no, always thankful to be here. Thankful that people read and thankful that people care. Makes me uh, feel good about what I do. I love it. Go support. Will and all the great college basketball work he's doing at the best college basketball website today. Stats by Will com. Type in your email, become a subscriber. That easy, that simple. Do it today. Will, always a pleasure, my friend, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for having me on. All right, we're back here on the Chase Moss Podcast, taping this late on a Thursday with VolQuest's own Brent Hubs, one of my favorite longtime guests. We always get him the late night hour. Who knows what we'll be talking about? But Brent, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Hope you're doing well, Chase. Good to see you again. Good to see you, man. I look, I think I feel pretty good. I think when you're talking about in the market for investment worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Uh, on ball quest this week about like you know i don't think this is going to get resolved anytime soon with what's looming over the university of tennessee and really just the ncaa as a whole right now don't stress about it tennessee fans is that what you would tell uh the general's quarters and everyone else is like this isn't going to get resolved soon but look just strap in and uh go about your day and enjoy this basketball run enjoy baseball season right around the corner and look it'll play out but hey this is going to take some time this is i think people are getting really amped up because they're seeing a lot of folks talk about it and it seems like a lot of people are getting involved you obviously the politics aspect to it i think people are maybe they're all fired up because they think this might be a quick thing because so many people are involved and lawsuits are coming down the pike this and the other 
But would you put cold water on that? That like, yeah, there's a lot of momentum right now, but this is still going to be a long-term process. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the best way to say it. I mean, I know everybody's got their pitchforks out and, and mm. got their, their fire torches out to, to storm the castle, if you will. And I, I get that Tennessee does seemingly have a lot of you know momentum with this in terms of kind of the national media's response, a lot of the national media's response. And you mentioned the attorney general and all those things going on there. But but I don't think that there's a quick resolution here. I'm going to be fascinating and curious to see how quick this thing gets into a federal court um, that'll take place in East Tennessee. How Mm. quick does that happen? What's the immediate result of there? Then you're going to go through an appeals process. And then where does the NCAA go with a with a letter of allegations at some point? Does that have you know, does that happen? When does that happen? Um, you know, so we'll see. I, I don't think you're gonna wake up and you know, February Valentine's Day and go, okay, that was a fun little blip on the radar screen. You know, I, I think it's gonna take longer than that to to get to a final resolution. And uh, the college athletics world is collectively watching to see what happens with this, starting first with this court case, this lawsuit. Um, where does it go? How does this change potentially? If it were a win in the court of law, how does this change? What governing power the NCAA has? Um, I don't think that Tennessee is trying in any way to strip the NCAA of governing power. I don't mm-hmm. think that's the narrative that's out that, that should be out there. I think what Tennessee is saying is, you're trying to retro- retroactively do something um, that one, we didn't do anything wrong, and, and two, as Danny White said, you know, you're trying to make you're trying to make a show of us. Mm. And l- listen, I mean, everybody knew that that Tennessee was going to be under the microscope um, and in the spotlight when Nico signed. You knew it was further going to get magnified when the NCAA came out and basically said they were going to go after collectives, right? They they were Mm -hmm. going to, you know, try to punish collectives and um, those types of things. So you knew that Tennessee was going to be in in the crosshairs there. So um, you would think Tennessee would know those that they have things, you know, buttoned up and they did everything the right way. I don't think Dondi Plowman steps out on the limb she's out on if she doesn't feel really comfortable about how everything was handled, um, you know, during that time and, and the process. So, you know, we'll see. Um, I, I've, I've spent some time with, with Chancellor Plowman. Um, I'm impressed with her as a leader. Um, admittedly, I think I've said this probably on your podcast. I was like, what is she doing in that Jeremy Pruitt press conference? Um, but she's stern. Um, she stands her ground. She digs her heels in, but she does it with a very um, – mindful thought process. She's very informed. Uh, she wants the bottom. She wants the answer. She doesn't step out on islands by herself in, in an emotional response to something, even though her letter had emotion in it, it was not a, an emotional, you know, fly off the handle response. You know what I'm saying? She didn't, mm-hmm. she didn't get to her office and just start randomly just pounding the keyboard to send a letter. You know, mm-hmm. there was obviously a ton of calculation in that. And there has been in every response Tennessee has had to this point. So when you think about how this affects things in the short term, is there anything that Tennessee football will, uh, the, anything with Tennessee football this spring and summer that will change based on this? Maybe it's just on the recruiting front. Do you see any immediate ramifications of this? Uh, I mean, I don't think, I don't see anything immediate. You know, I, I know there's, 
There's been some people talk out there about player ineligibility, you know, being ineligible. Would Nico be ineligible? I think all of that is um, way – that's just a, a conversation that's not even on the radar screen, uh, in my opinion, at this point. There's so many layers of things moving forward that that are going to take place. And, and obviously, Tennessee is steadfast in that they didn't do – that nothing went wrong. Remember mm-hmm. this too, the NCAA has said that their, their goal was not to punish student-athletes. Yeah. It was to punish, you know, people that in their eyes were taking advantage of student athletes or whatever, you know, with these collectives. And um, I, I think that, you know, people look at the Florida State situation and see the punishment they got and say, man, you know, they got hammered because of their collective. I think there was more to that case than, than what's just kind of the surface of, okay, they got this punishment for, you know, this assistant coach's involvement with a collective. I think there was some more to that that hasn't really been discussed. Because I think the NCAA likes the fact that, you know, everybody thinks they got hammered on the on the NIL deal because mm-hmm. that's what the NCAA wants. They want everybody to know that, you know, they can hammer people, they can go after people, they can they can go after collectives and they can have success with that. So uh, in the short term, you know, on the recruiting front, yeah, that's going to have to be answered. Um, schools will try to use it against Tennessee. I don't think it's been an issue of any note to this point. Um, but moving forward as it lingers on out there, I mean, certainly that would be the first place that you would see uh, that you would have some concerns and some worries about it would be what is how does Tennessee deal with the perception of it on the recruiting trail? And I think, too, for me, when you talk about how, like the perception, and everything else, and they try to use it as a negative. I just wonder if that backfires for other universities when they're recruiting kids of like, oh, are you sure you, you want to deal with that? And it's like. I think if you're a Tennessee player, like you see Jackson Lampley jump into the fold this week that I'm asking you about, but I just feel like in today, in February, 2024, this is more of a universal rallying cry where athletes and parents and everybody else would be like, good on them for protecting these kids and protecting their athletes and for going to battle. And they're in trouble for helping kids or, or, or you know what I mean? Like this yeah. is something where these are all positives for mm-hmm. the student athletes that I don't know how you would be able to spin uh, a negative way on a kid who sees how Tennessee is protecting their student athletes and advocating for their student athletes in a very demonstrative way. Like they are very public and steadfast in their backing of their student athletes and what they're doing and helping them. And uh, just with everything that Tennessee is about with the everything school moniker, like that is part of this. Like we are going to be at the forefront and we are going to build our own version of the battery in Atlanta on the river. We are going to um, add the food city logo to our TBA. We're going to continue building this because our players are building all this like it's players first like we none of this happens without the players so i just think to me if you are going to pitch that that's a dangerous game because tennessee can come back in it's like oh they're they don't want you to what are they actually trying to say that we're not like do you want to go to that university that well um, you you know what i mean does that make sense and i I mean from that standpoint yes I, i think the one counter to that is some people are going to try to grab you know will gravitate to well you know if tennessee is is found guilty of something, then they're going to be a repeat offender. And, you know, mm-hmm. you've got lack of institutional control, which could mean postseason ban, no playoff. You know, do you want to go to a place where you don't have a chance to compete in the playoffs? Again, not saying that's what's going to happen. I'm saying yeah. the perception that gets pitched 
And, and oftentimes perception in recruiting can become a reality if mm-hmm. you're not careful. So I, I don't think Tennessee has to go in with, you know, a 12 slide PowerPoint presentation or anything like that. But I do think that you have to be aware in the back of your mind that some schools are going to try to tell kids, well, I mean, that's fine. You can go there if you want to, but understand that, you, you know, you're, you may not be able to play in the postseason. You may not be able to participate in the postseason. Um, is that, is that, is there any, Evidence of that? No, uh, there's not. But that doesn't mean it's not going to get used because recruiting is so much about perception. And, and that's what some people will try to throw at, I, I think, some prospects this spring and this summer. But again, I don't think it's you know, nobody's in a panic at this point in time. It's not caused. If anything, it's caused what you're saying, guys, to go. Yeah, there, I like the fact that the school that my son is considering is standing up for the student athlete mm-hmm. because the rights of the student athlete are are paramount because that's my kid, yeah. you know, and, and it's not just about them making money and how much money they make. It's about them getting the opportunity to, to be a part of the landscape and the economy of making money when my son, my daughter is helping them make the amount of money that they're making on their campus, which is mm-hmm. obviously part of the messaging that, that Dante Plowman and, and Danny White have put out there to this point. Um, and, and I think, you know, Dante Plowman said this on, I get my days confused. I think she said this on Wednesday when she mm-hmm. was um, with some media people caught up to her before a meet and greet on campus. And, and she said, you know, I, I'm not comfortable with the direction of college athletics, you know, mm-hmm. and I think Danny White has mentioned that as well. And we've seen Jim Harbaugh talk about the need for revenue share. Now, Nobody is saying that they want it to be the wild, wild west. Everybody is wanting everybody in power. Okay. In, in, in power in athletics and at universities want some kind of guardrails, some kind of parameters, you know, some kind of guidance control, if you will, legislation, if possible to manage what is the wild, wild west. But, I, but the point is, how are you going to punish when it is the wild, wild west right now. And until, you know, I think that's what Donnie Plowman's saying is, hey, let's let's work on some things to fix the problem instead of trying to punish for something that had no rules around it in, in the in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that that's, um, you know, that's where this thing has got to go because I think everybody recognizes that, how questioning how sustainable the model is that we're dealing with right now, which is a model that, you know, has no limitations to it um, from a financial standpoint. It's basically however much money you can raise, you know, is what your, is what your salary is. Your salary cap is basically, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lots of big time concerns about that. And Danny White's spoken about that publicly, you know, the, the concerns he has. And so was Dondi Plowman. So, I think that's where this thing has to go if you're the NCAA is I think you have to try to see, get out of the mode of we're going to go back and punish people yeah. and we got to come up and work together and come up with solutions, not deflections. Yes, exactly. And, and that's, we'll see if we ever get to that point. I think that requires leadership. I think that requires getting in a room and having some very frank and, and hard conversations um, I think that requires the NCAA stop being, you know, they, they wasted so much time with this over the last two years, in my opinion, 
trying to get it in Congress's hands for Congress to fix it. Mm. Okay. Here's the reality of that. They're not going to. Mm. Okay. They're just not going. I mean, what, who is going to go and vote to say, Hey, we're going to limit how much money an American, an individual can make. Mm. We're going to limit how much money an 18 to 22 year old can make. We're going to take the right for them to make money, you know, based off what they've earned with their name, image, likeness, whatever you want to call it. We're going to take that away. Who's going to vote to take that away from them? Yeah. I mean, I just don't see it happening. And so I think the NCAA has spent way too much time waiting on that answer after they got shellac nine, nothing in the Supreme court. Like, why did you think that was going to change mm-hmm. at that point? You better start working on finding salute parameters to create some, some rules and some guidance and stop trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube because it's out and it's not going back in my opinion. I mean, you listen to the questions during these hearings and you're like, the, like they're just not college I mean, A, they're not college sports fans. They're not well <laughs> engrossed in the world to you here. And you're like, they. why would we ever put them in charge of finding the solution to this right. problem? I mean, well, and here's the thing. I mean, is that really on their radar screen? No. I mean, yeah. there's a, I mean I, I'm not going to get, we're not going to get political on this show. Yeah. But they, they got a lot of things that are ahead of their to-do list. Right. That, that doesn't include how much money a college athlete makes playing a game, playing mm-hmm. a sport. It's just not a priority, nor should it be. At this point, you should have had some regulations a long time ago. You didn't. You yep. got yourself in a serious mess now. And if you want to preserve who you are and what you are, you better find some solution to it. Are you going to see more and more lawsuits to the point that you, you are going to have a breakaway? You are going to have sports breakaway, whether it's football, whether it's power five, you know, whatever we're going to call it now, you know, and, and that's the, the direction that you're going. And hey, you've got concerns in your game. You had a head coach at a power five school walk off the job this week. Yep. Go be an assistant coach at the NFL. You, you got, you got, you Kelly might go did the same thing. Yeah. You've got bigger fish to fry than to try to go back and punish somebody for something that happened 18 months ago. Like that's not the solution. Mm. Okay. And I would say that if you're going after Florida state, if you're going after Oregon, if you're going after anybody, that's not fixing the problem. Punishing something that's transpired, you know, that you didn't have a rule in place for trying to go back and punish for that isn't going to stop anything. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, so, I mean, do we think because they punished Florida State for their NIL, do we think nobody at Florida State's making NIL money? Do we think they shut it down at Florida State? No, they, they didn't. Yeah. So work on some solutions to the problem instead of trying to create punishment for what you perceive to be a problem when there was no rules in place be athlete first figure out like talk to the people figure out how work talk to the collectives talk to universities figure out how i mean dondi talked about that right where she tried to meet with charlie baker i think that was something she specifically cited we're like you need to be actively in the solution-based game now. And that requires you to get your feet wet and dive in here and really understand what's going on to help. Because the ultimate, you will lose this battle in court and you'll lose it in public opinion, as we see this week, is sports fans don't believe on it. It's hard to get a lot of SEC fans to uh, agree on one (laughs) particular thing. I don't know if you've noticed this week, just about all SEC fans are on the side of Tennessee with what's going on here. And they want like coaches, whoever fan bases, donors, they are on this side of like, Hey man, we just like, this is silly. Like, what are we doing here? This is 
this is just not how you want to go about this. Like we need to be figuring this out. You are losing good coaches left and right. You need to understand that, hey, athletes are worth this. You are about to enter into this new TV deal and we're in the power two game where there is even more money flowing to these two mega conferences. There needs to be conversations about how we how we go forward into the new into the the 21st century. Like we need to be seeing for 21st century solutions that will work long term, that will keep our coaches in this game, that will make our game better long term, that will keep our players happy, that will reward them for their hard work and all the eyeballs that tune in and walk into Neyland Stadium every Saturday in the fall for them like. You that's uh, the mindset. I just feel like more than anything right. needs to change. Well, and and I think here's the other. I, th- I think another thing too that that people lose sight of is in the world we we follow and we cover. Mm-hmm. We understand we understand it from the SEC perspective. Yeah, from the Big Big Ten perspective. Okay, the problem the NCAA has is they have more people who don't. They have more schools that are that are a part of their association who aren't dealing with these things mm. than have who are dealing with it. So when St. Bonaventures and, and Oral Roberts and Creighton and Drexel and Ivy league schools and all these people call in mm-hmm. and, and say, we need this and we need that. And they all band together, you know, that they want some kind of change. They're dealing with a whole separate set of issues than what they're dealing with at the power five level. And then now there's a greater divide within the power five level than we've ever seen. Right. I mean, let's look at it. I mean, North Carolina has more resources in today's climate of college athletics than Wake Forest has. Mm. Okay. And those two schools are in the, they're the triangle. They're in a research triangle. They've been attached for forever, but, but one school's got a lot more resources and now resources aren't about buildings. Mm. It's not about a recruiting budget. Those resources are directly going to the financial parameters for student athletes. And that creates further separation with the haves and, and quote, the have nots in that world. Um, we saw Dave Kloss in this fall talk about it. You know, mm. hey, I developed a player and then you came and rent him for a year. And the reason the guy left is we couldn't match money. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the bottom line. And so the NCAA, I think, looks at it holistically. Okay, we've got however many hundreds of schools that you're dealing with, but but most of those guys are not dealing with the same set of circumstances that the household names are dealing with, right? That 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 the the Oregon's, the Georgias, the the Michigans, Alabamas, Tennessees, Ohio States, you know, they're they're dealing with different things, and that's the challenge for the NCAA, and that's where they've lacked some forethought, in my opinion, is they have to understand there is a separation there. How do you manage that? I don't know. That's why there's so much thought that at some point there's going to be a true breakaway from the NCAA. Now to do that, somebody's got to be, somebody's got to have enough organization and leadership that they can get a bunch of schools with their own agendas and their own opinions all on the same page to go break away and do this thing. Um, and, and I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you do that without having someone in charge first. And who are you going to vote in? Who's everybody going to go? Yep, I'm good with that person. I'm good with that person running sports because everybody's got a tie somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody's going to appear somebody has an agenda. I mean, look at all the conspiracies that are out there right now about how this news got out, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 
Lane Kiffin turned him in. Jeremy Pruitt turned him in. Nick Saban turned him in. I mean, there's all kinds of conspiracies out there, right? Yeah. There's the conspiracy that Tennessee hat fans have that Alabama gets every favorite every favorite ruling because the league office is in Birmingham, right? So if mm -hmm. let's say Greg Sankey became commissioner of, of college football, you don't think the Big Ten's gonna well, wait a minute? They get every break under the sun. The guy that has basically gotten everything that the league's ever wanted, whether it's getting a team in a playoff or whatever has gotten accomplished, he's going to be in charge. We're hosed, right? Like how do you get somebody that everybody goes, yeah, we're good with that. We're good with that person. You know, we're, we're good with them being in charge. That's the challenge. If you're ever going to get to a breakaway. And I know it's not the question you asked, but I, I, I think that's going to be one of the stumbling blocks for everybody to break for, for the power five, haves to break away from the power five have not i don't think it's the power five anymore i think it's the power two that breaks and then the remnants of the other ones and i think you kind of need to get to that point anyway because the other sports just cannot keep going with this you can't have rutgers flying to ucla and tennis and this that and the other where it's like i mean chip kelly had the best answer uh a few weeks ago on how he would do it which is why he's trying to get NFL OC jobs. A hundred percent. And we look at that and I'm like, that's why I would want to ask the NCAA. And I'm like, you don't think this is weird? Like they're <laughs> like, what is your thought on this? And this is how you're spending your time on Tennessee. And you're seeing Jeff Halfley and Chip Kelly two sitting power five head coaches, take coordinator jobs potentially in the NFL in the same off season. Like you just lost your best coach of all time. Who knows? Like it, the age was obviously a factor, but he talked about this year was especially difficult for him. I mean, it's not getting any easier for any of these coaches. So you look at it, and I'm just like, who are y'all talking to? Like, what world are you living in where, I mean, it's just coaches aren't getting Christmas. Coaches aren't getting any, like, they're just, it's just a tough life. Like, you, sure. something has to change eventually because this, it just can't continue like this. I just well, don't see any it, of these guys being able to put up with it for five to seven more years. I, I, I don't disagree. Now the money's large, so we'll see. Yeah. I mean, you know, but but here's the other thing that the NCAA and and everybody has. While there's there's these problems, whether mm -hmm. it's calendar for coaches, whether it's the NCAA's inability to govern, you know, NIL and that type of thing, all that's out there. The entertainment value of the sport has never been better. Mm -hmm. And it's only going to improve with an expanded playoff. December is only going to be now. It's not going to be any better for coaches if the calendar hasn't changed. In fact, it's going to be worse. But for the fan and the entertainment value, which is what's driving your dollars, it'll never be better than it's going to be next year. When you well, the NCAA just did a solid for Tennessee, right? Like Tennessee versus everybody shirts are going to be <laughs> everywhere. Like there, yeah. we, we're already fired up for Nico, but now you have this in the fold. Well, think about it. I mean. You, you've taken for years, you've taken a basically month long break from your game. Yeah. Now you're not, you're not going to take a month long break. You're going to play playoff games. Mm. Okay. You're, you're going to create an NFL type month. Uh, look, the last, what the last three weeks of the NFL world has been pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. Wild card Saturday and, you know, and all that stuff, and then the conference championship game. That's what you're going to create in the college. With free football. agency inside. <laughs> yes. Yeah, while free agency is going on. So mm -hmm. the entertainment value for the fans has never been higher. Yeah. Okay? You, you, you got to fix it, right? Because the product is not getting worse. Now, the people creating the product, their life's not as good as it used to be as a coach's standpoint. Life for players is better than it's ever been. 
Okay. And your entertainment value is really good. So your so your game's not suffering. Mm-hmm. Your sport's not suffering from that standpoint. It's suffering from the fact that you don't have the ability to govern it in a lot of ways. And it's suffering from the fact that you're at a risk of running good people out of the game. But for the general fan sitting in section M, right? He's like, why would that coach leave? He's making $9 million, $10 million a year. My God, this is great. We got a home playoff game in December. I love this sport. Mm-hmm. Sign me up. That's why Tennessee's got a waiting list for season tickets. The yeah. entertainment value of the game's never been better. No, I mean, even across the board, like, I mean, you've been covering Tennessee a long time. Have you ever seen Tennessee this strong all across the board for a full calendar year? Like, fans get something year-round. Like, you're a top-ten program basketball, football, and baseball right now. That's, which, I mean... Which is why which is why if you announced tomorrow, hey, Dondi Plowman's going to be outside, you know, at, at the, what is it, the, the Vic, Vic Davis statue there at the Torchbearer? Oh, yeah. You know, and she's going to be there for the next couple hours if you want to come by and say hi. There'll be people driving. There'll be people taking a late lunch who have no affiliation to Tennessee, never stepped no. down, never, never been in a classroom in Tennessee, who just want to come by and shake her hand and say thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for what you're doing for, 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 the, for the fans, for the sport that I love. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's why, I mean, with where Tennessee's at athletically and as a school right now, yeah, there's a lot of people. It's Don D and us against everybody, and they're ready, yeah. they're ready to go. That's why they got their pitchforks ready. You know, it's, and Tennessee fans are willing to pick up and Braveheart, right? I mean, and she's got a whole army behind her. Yeah, hundred percent. Yep. I mean, she is there any? I don't think there's a president with a better approval rating with its uh, constituents and its uh, fans and Dondi Plowman across the country right now. No, she's. I mean, I mean, from for for what she's done. I mean, she took a strong stance. Yeah, a lot of people questioned. You know, with Jeremy Pruitt, and it worked out in Tennessee's favor because Pruitt's no longer here. You didn't pay him a bunch of money to go away. It didn't cost you a bowl game. Yeah, it cost a fine, but nobody's affected by that. Some scholarship numbers that are very manageable, okay? And you got in new leadership, which has done well, a football coach who's already beaten Alabama and beaten Clemson in a bowl game. Yeah, you, you fixed it. Mm-hmm. You've, made, you've made it better. And you embrace, as a, as a university leader, you embrace athletics. You recognize it's important. She is, and, and I've had a chance to spend time with her. She is a sports fan. Mm-hmm. She likes sports. She understands its value, but she also likes sports. She was a little league mom. Mm-hmm. She was a football mom. She she loves being a part. That's why she's at all these events. Yeah, yeah it's it's there for the re- you know. There's reasons for her to be there. It's political. It looks good and all that other stuff. But she thoroughly enjoys being at those sporting events. And it's, listen, Tennessee went through a bunch of chancellors where that was not the case. They didn't care about going to sporting events. They didn't care about being seen at a sporting event. She's in the crowd with all these people at sporting events. Yeah. I mean, and she understands the front porch of your university, right? Like when it's strong there, it just, it permeates down. And she recognizes that. I mean, she, that's, I, listen, I'll give that selection committee credit. They finally got that position right. And God knows it took them forever <laughs> to do it, but they finally got that position right. Because here's the thing she's done. She's obviously recognized the importance of athletics as a front porch. And she's hired good people to help run athletics, right? Danny White inherited a pretty good situation outside of football, but he's done a good job with football. They've continued to grow. 
But then you look at it on the academic side. She's done some really good things on the academic side and growing the business department and the engineering department uh, and what they're doing with a, a plan for facilities, for growth and addition of students and all of those things. I mean, she's been she's been a home run hire and there's no other yeah. way. There's no other way to say it than that at this point. What she's done managing COVID, managing through the NCAA once, now a second time. Um, that, that nobody has carried more popularity and confidence with the fans and the alumni than what she has right now. So how much do you know about what's going on with Jackson Lampley and how does this affect things uh, on the national level? I, you know, that's a great question. I don't, I mean, obviously he's attached himself to the lawsuit uh, and saying that, that, you know, as a student athlete, um, he should have, you know, you should have the opportunity not only to make money, but but how much money you could potentially make at a school is a factor in deciding. And 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 he, and he equates it to, you know, you don't take a job without knowing what your salary is going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go through that process, if if you're if you're a graduate and you've got a headhunter who's helping you find a job and he brings you three or four potential interviews to go see. You want to know what that salary is. What's my earning potential at these places? And, and I think that's where Jack, what Jackson Lampley is is trying to say is, you know, that they ha- you have the right, you should have the right to know what that earning potential is and, and what you can make. And, and that's a part of the the landscape of the world that we live in now. Um, I, I don't know that it has a great effect on the specifics and what, the NCAA has been investigating, but if we're going to move this discussion, it, it, you know, if part of this lawsuit also yields the discussion that needs to take place, then that's a that's a component of the discussion that has to be involved here. The student athlete has to be involved in the discussion. Mm-hmm. They have to be because it's it's antitrust. Are you going to get a collective bargaining deal? Are you going to unionize? The student athlete has to be at the forefront of this discussion. It can't just be, hey, we're going to go take the co- the collectives to Congress and have them have some hearings and talk, and then we're going to get in a room and we're going to have some people on a committee who talk, and there may or may not be, in, in a committee of 10, there may be one or two that's really dealing with NIL, and there may be seven that doesn't even have an NIL collective or program you know, surrounding their, their athletics department in any way, shape, or form. At some point, you've got to include the student athlete in the conversation. Um, And, and, you know, I think what you hope comes out of this is a realization for um, people around the country and states, for the politicians, attorney generals, the NCAA, other university presidents and ADs and everything else, that we're in a different world. Mm -hmm. We have to stop and say, you know what, we're not going back to how it was in 1995 or how it was in 2005, or how it was in 2015. Mm. Those days are gone. You've got to adapt to change. Well, what does that change look like? Well, you better get the information from all sides to understand what the change looks like. And we'll see if that if that comes out of this, because I thought that was what Jackson Lampley was speaking to in his comments in the new Sentinel article um, that, were, that were released in the attachment to the lawsuit. I love it. Um, well, Brent, um, I I feel better. I hope Tennessee fans listening to this are going to feel better. It's no room to panic. This is all good. Tennessee's still rolling all across the board. It's the hell. It, like everything's good. Like everything's fine. Don't panic right now. 
No, I mean, I, you know, again, I mean, th this is this was this is inevitable at some point. Um, you know, again, I think if if Tennessee has done what I think that they've done and should have done, um, they, they knew that the moment Nico got on campus that there was going to be great scrutiny, you know, with that deal because that was the first one, yeah. right? That was the first deal that um, that that go, draws everybody's attention, yeah. you know. And, and this is a total different. This is an analogy, but it's not equated. It's going to have money involved, but it doesn't equate. Everybody talks about Bobby Bonilla Day, right? Mm -hmm. It's Bobby, but how many people have King Griffey Jr. Day? Right? Yeah. I mean, there, there's not nearly as much attention to the fact that King Griffey Jr. is getting paid for what two more decades or whatever yeah. ridiculous money he's getting paid. It's all about the deal Bobby Bonilla did. Why? Mm -hmm. He was the first one. Mm -hmm. It was the first deal. Okay, much the same way that Nico has drawn so much attention. Why? Because it was the first one. There are lots of players around the country, not lots, but there are hand, more than a handful of players around the country who are making some serious money, mm -hmm. some serious NIL money, but he was the first. And because yeah. he was the first, that's the one the NCAA has gravitated to. That's the one national media people have talked about. That's kind of been the one because it was the first. Well, if you're Tennessee and you knew he was the first, you had to know that scrutiny was coming with it. Yeah. So you better have done everything the right way. And I can't imagine that Tennessee and the, and the Spire group, more importantly, did not do everything the right way because they would know that they were under – heavy scrutiny because remember this too about the spire group at the time tennessee hadn't come out and endorsed them hmm. they were a true third party so if you're trying to establish yourself as a true collective out there and you don't have the bringing endorsement you know by a university are you going to survive if you're doing it wrong mm -hmm. are you going to make it i mean are people going to say okay you know, like y'all do whatever y'all be the wild, wild west. And we're all good with it. I mean, Tennessee over time has come out and endorsed Spire. Why? Because they've, they know what's, you know, they have an idea of how Spire runs their business and what they do. So I just can't imagine Spire cut any corner or did anything um, that you shouldn't have done because they had to know they were going to be scrutinized by everybody because of how much publicity they, they got out of the Nico situation. And we should look at this positively. And that's what the NCAA misses here is like the Nico story should be a positive one. Like, awesome. He's a first, like he's an early one here. He's at the forefront of the new era of college athletics and college football specifically. Nico being the high profile prospect that he is, he's put in the time he's put in the work. He is, uh, I mean, he's well wanted all around the country. Those are all positives like this. It should not be seen as a negative story. And I think that's what drives me the most, uh, up the wall about how we have this conversation is the tone where it's like, we're looking at this and it's like, these are all positives. Like right. this is great for this family. Great for this kid. And these should be celebrated and we work to get on the same page. Like this is a good thing. This is a great thing for Nico Iamaliava and a great thing for every Tennessee athlete after him. Like these are positive steps for these kids and for their families and everything else. Like this, I, I just don't like how we look at this because we wouldn't look at it that way as a negative for any other walk of life or any other college kid who starts a, his own company in his dorm room. And he, he gets a bit like 
for whatever reason, they get they used to. I don't think this is the case anymore. And I think this is where the NCAA, a, 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 wow, the NCAA is in more trouble here. Is that the national public and sports fans don't see it that way anymore? They don't. They are in favor of these sorts of things and this advancement in the player first model and players uh, being compensated for their efforts and for what they are bringing to the university. It's an outdated system. It's an outdated model. It doesn't match up to what uh, the current climate and current scope of college athletics and the power two level is. And it's a positive because guess what? It's making the lives of so many kids and their futures that much better, setting them up that much better for what's to come. And I just, I I don't like when it's vilified in uh, in a national level. Well, I mean, I mean, what somebody was suggesting that he was taken advantage of, Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, um, I mean, you're right. And I think that's why you see, you've seen on a national scale, there are some people who have been anti this, Mm. you know, the the NIL world from the get go. And and I'll be honest with you. I mean, when we were talking about it two and a half years ago, coming down the pike, I, I said publicly on, Every radio show I did, hey, I'm not against student athletes making money, but I'm just telling you right now, if you don't have some rules in place, where's where does it stop? Mm. How do you how do you manage it? Okay, and they didn't have any rules in place, but nobody's abusing kids or taking advantage of kids or you know treating kids wrong. Now, taking advantage of a kid is is some collective agreeing to a deal and and then not fulfilling their end of the deal, right? Financially. That's a whole different thing. That's not what we're dealing with here. Yep. Um, you know, listen, the rules are in place that the student athlete can can make money. They, that, that was ruled on by the Supreme Court, 9 nothing. Nobody put any guidelines and regulations on what that looks like and how you can make the money and how you can't make the money. There, and that's was, not the student athlete's problem. No, that's the not. adults in the room. Absolutely that was their not. problem. That's and 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 the fact of the matter is the the NCAA is paying for the sins yeah. of not having forward thinking, instead thinking, hey, we're just going to keep doing it the way we've always done it because this model works and it's all good, and away we go. We're, look, we're seeing this in golf, right? Like. Yeah. Is, is anybody mad at a golfer for going to the live tour? I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm sure some of them are, but I, can you fault a person for making money? Yeah. For making more money? Now, you can have a political view or whatever on it, but the fact of the matter is there was talk among golfers that the PGA needed to do something with some more revenue share, something mm-hmm. for the golfers. They didn't. They were just going to roll on with their model, and now where are they at, mm-hmm. Right. And the NCAA can take a lesson from that. And 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 the problem is they are now trying to figure out what to do with something that they can't get their hands around, that they chose not to dive into and try to create some parameters on before it ever got to this point. Yeah. And that's not the student athlete's fault. That's not a collective's fault. Okay. That's that that that's the people in charge that didn't have a plan. We just Let's get out of the penalty business like this. The, let's get out of the penalization business. Let's move forward into the solution business. That is where we need to be. This is all just that's just where we need to be is how do we make this best for everyone involved? How do we make this sport great for the next 80 years? How do we make sure this sport still exists through the next 80 years? What do we it's just the forward thinking aspect is yeah. just got to be the forefront. 
Well, and you can't punish by continuing movement, moving the goalpost. Yeah. Or, you know, or go back in time, move the yeah. goalpost back. Right. You can't. And, and that's, yeah. that's not how it goes. And you're exactly right. You know, you have to adapt to the change. And the reality is the, the, the change is sweeping mm-hmm. and you didn't prepare for it. And now you're in a full scramble mode about it, but your focus better be on adapting to it and forward thinking as opposed to, well, you know, we're going to punish somebody because somehow somewhere that's not right. Yeah. But we don't have a rule to say it's not right, but somehow somewhere it's not right. So we got to punish something, somebody somehow for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, instead of investigating the 20 schools, how about meeting with the 20 schools and working on solutions for them, for, for not just them, but for all schools moving forward. Yeah. Because again, if you talk to any AD conference commissioner, chancellor out there, they would love some parameters. They would love some guardrails as that catchphrase they like to say, you know, that they would, they would love for that to happen. Okay. Who's going to do that? That discussion is not taking place. We've tried to, we've tried to push those answers off on Congress, right? Anywhere else we can push them instead of getting in a room and going, okay, from a legality standpoint, what can we do? What kind of parameters can we put on it? You know, what do the student athletes need to do to protect themselves? How do they get organized? Who helps them get organized? Do we really need to look at rev sharing? Is that realistic? Where the, I mean, you got to have some real hard line discussions, mm. you know, and, and the reality is your president's been on the job less than a year, you know, and I'm sure he's sitting there going, what in the world have I got myself into? Mm. Right. But, but, but also the, I don't have any, like, you know, you, go, you should go. have known. Yeah, and also that's on the NCAA committee yeah. and everybody like you should have brought in someone who was going to be the antithesis of Mark Emmerich. Like yeah. you should have brought in someone who was going to be like, hey, we got to blow this model up. Like yeah. this is not working. Someone who immediately meets with everybody. You're like, oh, this is a whole new world. This is a whole new ball of wax. We've got to get on top of this. And you, by all accounts, to this point, it doesn't seem like you went that route at all. Well, again, they're, they're waiting on someone to help them out. Yeah. You no, know, they're, they're and, and and again, I think that what if I were critical, criminal, I think they've wasted too many man hours, too much time waiting on, you know, political, the political world to, to fix it for them. And it's just not going to happen. They've got to come up with some solutions and you don't do that without having some real discussion. And that's where I think it's got to turn to not just in this case with Tennessee, but I'm talking across the country mm. because again, I mean, there's a point in time the UCLA job was a really good job, but the head coach at UCLA is so put out with that situation and what he's going through right now that he's looking to leave. Mm-hmm. On February, on January 31st, a head coach who had spent his whole life trying to become a head coach at the Power Five level walked away to become an assistant coach and told you why he left. Yeah, told you the problems he had and why he was leaving. Those should be things that you should go. And you should have already known that, but those are further reminders of we got some things we have to fix yesterday, mm-hmm. not punish for what was happening yesterday, but fix things before they get any worse. And, and we got to really try to work towards some solutions. Brent, what could the good folks check out from you and the team over at VolQuest.com this week? Well, this basketball team is on our, is, you know, they didn't play well against South Carolina, but obviously mm-hmm. a huge game against Kentucky and a great opportunity there. We're continuing to follow all of that. We got baseball just getting ready to get cranked up. Certainly we're going to continue to follow this story and, and all that, whatever the next twist and turn is in this thing. Uh, for football, it's rolling, it's rolling right along in your all season winter program. And uh, we'll continue to track 
how some of these newcomers at receiver and tight end and um, the transfer guys, how they're doing, and, and obviously what Nico's doing to lead those guys. He spent a lot of time with those new guys trying to help them get a grasp of the offense here over the last 10 days to two weeks since everybody's been back in town. That'll only continue until spring practice starts on March the 18th. And, of course, recruiting, big junior day coming up on Saturday, and a um, bunch of recruiting stuff coming from us here over the course of the next three or four weeks. Should be fun. I love it. Brent, always a pleasure checking back in with you, man. Absolutely. Anytime, man. Great to catch up. Enjoy the conversation. Thanks, Brent. See you, buddy. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.